0: What a powerful song of perspective for us today. I invite your attention to Psalm 73. We've already read the text for the day, but we're going to walk slowly through it, and we're going to do so over the next several weeks. We're starting a a mini-series, if you will, that I'm entitling, I Almost Quit. And as we look at this psalm, we're going to find some incredible comfort, some incredible encouragement from a man who almost lost his faith. Can I just pull over to the side for a moment? I hope that you are turning with me to Psalm 73. And as you're turning there, uh, just a a quick word. We uh, had a death in our extended family. My mom lost her sister yesterday. She went home to be with the Lord. She is a believer, faithful, faithful servant of God. And somebody said this morning to me, one of our Sunday school teachers, uh, just a dear and faithful encourager here, when will we ever get to the place where we see death for what it is? Healing, healing, for the believer, death ought to be for us such an encouragement in this that we have been set free from the pains of this life. Thank you, Brother West, and uh, for leading us in that focus that there is coming a day that we'll gather together in heaven, and the the dwelling of God, the tabernacle of God, will be with God's people. And we pray for healing. My aunt had been sick for quite some time, and we prayed for her healing, and God answered that prayer. We mourn and we grieve for us, not for them. And today, really, that carries forward in our psalm. I want us to look together at a passage of Scripture that gives perspective. And, and it really is an honest look at somebody's struggle. And as we look at the struggles of this man, one that, that almost quit, I pray that I will be able to offer to you some practical help for those that are discouraged. Maybe you're finding yourself as a believer discouraged and maybe even despondent. And on this baccalaureate Sunday when we would recognize our graduates, I believe Graduates, there's some incredible advice for you in Psalm 73, so I'm asking that you would take these to heart. You know, there are defining moments in our lives, and I'm not so pretentious as to say that this sermon would be a defining moment in your life, but this day for you is in some ways defining. You'll remember when you graduated, and hopefully you'll remember the day that that Scott Alexander handed you an umbrella and you walked out of church and it stormed. I mean, that may have been one of the most apropos gifts I've ever seen given to A group of graduating seniors but I I want you to maybe take some special note today graduates and this sermon is not just for them it's for any of you that have found yourself ever in your faith discouraged or struggling this this text this psalm is about persevering it's about trusting God even when you feel like saying I want to quit I want to give up when you begin to ask the question what's the point I mean, I've been serving faithfully, Pastor, for decades. There are people in this room that have known Jesus and come to even to this church longer than I've been alive. There are people that have served faithfully for years and years, and there are times in our lives where we find ourselves saying, what's the point? Why should I live a moral life? Why should I struggle and strive to live for God? It just seems so hopeless and helpless at times, but this psalm is about persevering in faith. And in life and in ministry, it's a testimony of a man who almost lost his faith. He went into a great crisis of despair, a crisis of discouragement, and he almost let go of his faith. God helped him find his faith. God turned him around, and he was even stronger in the days after than he was before just for those of you that want a little reference as we think about this one psalm again we're chronologically studying through scripture and we've come to the place of the kings and so right in the middle of David and Saul and Solomon and all the kings was this wonderful songbook written and it it moves on a little bit farther into other eras but in this Part of our study I just wanted to pull over for a bit and look at this beautiful song and as we look at this song find encouragement from it some have called this psalm the book of Job in a nutshell and I, I've got to tell you I have gone back to Psalm 73 across the years in my ministry because there have been days that I wanted to quit can I just tell you that transparently that day is Monday for most pastors They they told us in seminary, whatever you do, don't resign on Monday. There's always this sense that you've had a challenging conversation or you were just struck with a sense of defeat and the enemy came and just overwhelmed you because of the activities that happened on Sunday. And Monday morning you get up and you say, I quit. Well, don't do that. It's what they told us. Here's a man who almost came to that place. Now, if you're looking at this psalm with me, if you've gotten there, look at the heading, the the superscription over it. Obviously, that's not the Word of God, but it is just a description of the Word. It says that this is a psalm of who? Everybody say it with me. Asaph. I talked to Asa, uh, Asa Alexander this morning, and I said, Asa, we're going to study a man whose name is really close to yours. And he got pretty excited about it. He's excited now. He's going to help me in, a, in the next couple of weeks maybe with our sermon. And I said, have you ever heard of Asaph? And I think for Asa, the P and the H is just silent. You know, don't, don't mind that. And his name is Asa. But I said, Asa, do you know what he did? And he said, no. And I said, he wrote songs. And he said, that's cool. And I said, he played an instrument. I said, you know what he played? And he said, no, what? And I said, he played the cymbals. And he said, I can do that. And he said, and if I did that, everybody would cover their ears because it would be loud. Well, he may play cymbals for us next week. I don't know. We'll have to see. But we're going to look at a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a Levite. We read about him in 1 Chronicles. The first mention of him is in 1 Chronicles 6. And then in 1 Chronicles 16, you see that he was in the processional when David brought the ark back. David appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark. Look at this verse with me. It will be on the screen. Stay there in Psalm 73. David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord. To invoke his blessings, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord. The God of Israel. Asaph, the leader of the group, sounded the cymbals. So Asaph is the chief of these musicians. David, the king, appointed him to this lead role. He's in full-time ministry, if you will. He served ministering in the house of the Lord before the ark of the Lord. He was a man of faith. David saw in him something that that needed to be presented to others. And so, in this incredible psalm, we're going to see something interesting. You know, here's this man, a mature believer, a godly man, a gifted individual. He understood where his gift came from. There are other psalms we'll read of his. He used his music to praise the Lord and to communicate God's word to a needy world. But even a man like that, even in ministry, almost lost his faith. He almost lost his way. In the words that he writes here, it's like his whole world is falling apart. Now I want you to hear this, and this is important for us today. Graduates, it's important for you. The greatest believers face crisis. There's something of encouragement in comfort here for me. If all of God's people in the Bible had it all together all the time, then I couldn't relate to them. Anybody else? As we read about Asaph, I'm hoping that he will, over the next several weeks, become for you a faithful friend, an encourager, As we read his journal, as we read sort of his heart, that God would use Asaph to lead you and me out of a place of discouragement. I I believe there's a word here for somebody today. Today's message is about how Asaph made a decision. We're going to look at his turning point from where he almost slipped and almost fell. But he made a decision. Now, I want you to do something with me. I'm going to put a picture up of a little man maybe with a stop sign. I don't know why that one came up. He's grumpy. My Asaph was a little grumpy. But I want you to draw a picture of that somewhere. Just a stick man with a stop sign on your notes. I, I gave to the kids, hopefully in their faith factory, they got one of these little pieces of paper. Kids, did you get one of those? Anybody? All right, I see him. If you do me this favor, kids, and parents with those, or if you're near a deacon and he wants to play along, he can too. I want them to draw me a picture of Asaph. I want Asaph with a stop sign. And before the service is over, I want you to bring me your picture. We may show some of these pictures over the next several weeks as we study through, but I want to get them involved in worship. So again, deacons, I I do want you to pay attention to the sermon, so don't draw the whole time through, okay? You you get it down pretty quick. That's a pretty simple drawing. As we think about this notion, though, if you get this picture, you're going to get the message of the whole sermon. You're gonna get the message of Psalm 73. He decided not to follow the bad decisions in his mind. How many of you have ever thought something and you just built it up in your mind and say, you know what, this is what I ought to do, and later thanked God that you didn't follow through with that plan. You you said that would have been a terrible mistake. And and we can say it lightheartedly, but there are some things in our lives that are serious. And, And we really were plunging toward that. There were decisions. Graduates, you need to hear this. There are going to be decisions, and you're going to come right up to the edge of a decision, maybe a social decision on Saturday night in the dorms, and everybody else is making one decision, and you say, you know what, I'm going to join in and go with them. And you think better of it, and you stop yourself. You do what Asaph did, you stop, and then you turn around, and you realize, had I followed that bad decision, it could have been detrimental, even destructive for my life. All of us need to see this, that this turning really is the central point. Here's a man who went through a time of unbelievable discouragement, and he almost quit. So let's walk through the text together. Look back at verse 1 with me if you've got it there in front of you. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is almost a creedal statement to the Old Testament people of God. It would be similar to us saying today, Jesus is Lord. Would you agree with that statement, that Jesus is the Lord of this place? Could you agree that Jesus is the Lord of your own life? Maybe you can. Perhaps today you can't do that, but let's say that together. You ready? Jesus is Lord. You see, the Old Testament saints would have said, God is good to Israel. God is good to those whose hearts are pure. It would have been a statement of strong faith. It would have been like us saying at Easter, he is risen. And Asaph would have known this statement. He wrote it here. He would have claimed it. He would have said, I was raised that way. I know that God is good toward Israel. He is good to those whose hearts are Are pure. Asaph would have said, Clearly, I have always believed it. I've based my life on this. This is the faith of God's people. Watch this, everybody. But look at verse 2. He he just said in verse 1 God's good to those whose hearts are pure. But look at it with me. But as for me, I almost lost my footing my feet were slipping I I was almost gone here's a man who would have said if he was a New Testament believer if he was here today giving his testimony I can boldly say and have said Jesus is Lord but I almost quit I almost gave up I almost walked away I almost saw Futility in this. And you say, why would he get there? Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you would say you've been there. But let's just consider this for a moment. We we meet here for worship and we confess our faith and we sing songs and we read scripture and we listen to preaching. But if you're honest with yourself, there are people in this room that would say, I'm right there with Asaph. There's a part of me that says, why am I trying so hard to live this godly life? Why am I trying so hard? I mean, I've got friends today that are out playing golf. They're, they're living the life, and, and they're not giving their time and their money and their effort to the church. And where has it gotten me, and what has it benefited me, and why am I in this place? Anybody ever found themselves discouraged in their faith? If you've been there, or if you are there, there is good news from Psalm 73. Because Asaph was there, and I'm thankful God let him write this down. Because he ministers to me. And again, I hope and pray that over the course of the rest of your days, that you will find yourself going back again and again to this series of messages, but more than that, to this text, and you will begin to see how a blessing it is for us to read and learn from ASAS. I can't help but think there are people that are at the point of quitting. You struggle to sing. You struggle to read the Word. You, you endure the services. And maybe even today you're saying, My faith, Pastor, used to be so strong. And, and it was real and it was encouraging. But now I just don't know. I, I've lived a little bit of life And in living life, life's hit me in the mouth, and difficult things have come. And because difficulty has come, I just don't know anymore. It's real to other people, but I'm just not sure. What what used to be strong seems distant now. There's a quiet voice that says in hearts, I could easily walk away from this. Now, I know some of you are saying, I cannot believe how discouraging this is so far, but we have to walk there because that's right where he was. He says, I know God is good to Israel, but as for me, I almost lost my way. We're going to spend time in the first half of the psalm for the next few minutes, and as we do, I want to show you three reasons why this happened to Asaph. Number one, he couldn't make sense of what God was doing in the world. He couldn't make sense of what God was doing in the world. Anybody been there? You look around us and the darkness just seems to get darker. But let's read together verses 3 through 12. And as we read them, I want you to see into the mind of Asaph. He says, For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seemed to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong, they don't have troubles like other people. They are not plagued with problems like everybody else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil, and in their pride they seem to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. We'll stop there. I want you to just follow along in your thinking. These... Or words of real distress. You see, Asaph looks around and here's what he says in our vernacular. He says, I look at the world of business and I've got people all around me, competitors who cheat. They cut corners. They lie. They steal. They are absolutely uh, ruthless in their practices and they're doing fine. And I struggle to do things by the book. I struggle to live right. I struggle to live in a, a good and godly and honoring way. Where's it gotten me? He was looking around at the others that were around him and seeing, I can't make sense of what God's doing in this world. And students, you're going to see this. We'll, we'll fe- uh, pick up with that in a moment. We'll follow a little farther. You're going to see students, if you will, that that you're going to go to class with and they may cheat and they may lie and they may steal and they may fool around and they may party and you'll say, they're living the dream and I'm sitting here in my dorm room or I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to go to church and be faithful now that I've graduated college and everybody around me seems to be living this different life and Asaph says, this does not make sense. God, I don't understand what you're doing here. He says, I I know, I know you're good to Israel, but my feet are slipping. I almost lost my footing. I almost gave in. He, He says, why do the wicked prosper? Doesn't make sense. Here I am trying to promote ministry around the ark of the Lord trying to resist temptation and live a good life. And the wicked are the ones that are prospering. Asaph couldn't make sense of what God was doing in the world. But secondly, I want you to see that he couldn't make sense of what God was doing in his own life. Look at verse 14 with me for a moment. He says, I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. What he's saying, another translation says it this way, all day long I've been plagued. He's saying, I've been hounded. Not only are the wicked prospering, but my life is a struggle. And see, the real problem oftentimes is not that things are going wrong in the world, but they're going wrong in our own lives. Remember, this is a confession of a godly man in full-time ministry, a spiritual leader, chosen by the king to lead worship. Other people are looking up to him. It's kind of interesting. This is a man who would pay tithes, and he would sing songs, and he would read scripture, and he would memorize scripture, and he would probably teach Sunday school. He would be involved in the choir ministry. He would be involved in pursuing a holy life, but it seems like everything in his life is going wrong. He says, all day long, I'm hounded. I'm pressed in. I'm troubled. Can, can I say this to you? Sometimes, under the grand questions of what's wrong with this world, the real question that you're wrestling with and that I'm wrestling with is deeper and it's more personal. I, I can't always make sense of what God's doing in the world. But there becomes a deep sense of crisis when I don't understand what God is doing in my own heart. And that's where Asaph is wrestling. God, I don't understand this. The wicked are doing just fine. They're mocking you. Those who hate you, those whose agenda is absolutely against your agenda are doing just fine. Here's what it looks like for you and for me. You ask the question, God... Why do the wicked prosper? But the real question is, God, why aren't you prospering me? You you ask the question, God, why is there suffering in the world? But the real question is, God, why is there so much pain in my own life right now? You ask, is there really a God that controls the universe? Because if there is, then why is my life falling apart? This man could make no sense of what God was doing in the world or in his own life. And that leads us to the third point that I want you to see. He could no longer see the point of pursuing a godly life. He could no longer see the point of living a a moral life, a godly life, of pursuing a holy life. I've been brought up in believing that God is good to Israel That those who are pure in heart, God's good to them. But I look out at the world and see the prosperity of the wicked. And I look in my own heart and life and see the wheels falling off and it doesn't make sense. And these problems are very real. And they're real to us today. Some of you have competitors in business. And again, they cut corners and do fine. You try to live right and things are wrong. I had a guy not long ago tell me that I'm trying to live my life in such a grounded way. And he said, there's a guy in our office, in our division, and he's messing around on his wife, and he's getting promotions, and I'm over here faithful to my family, and I got laid off. And the question then is very simple. If you're honest, you turn your hands toward heaven and say, why? Why? And that's what Asaph did. Asaph says, why, God, are they prospering? Why am I hounded all day long? And then he goes on and just basically says, did I keep myself innocent for nothing? Am I just keeping myself from the good life? Am I keeping myself from joy and from experiencing pleasure in life? This makes no sense. God, you're blessing the wrong guy. That was Asaph's problem. And he lived with it for too long. I almost gave up. I almost quit. One more word for us before we really get into kind of the meat of how we get out of this problem. If a man like Asaph can be tempted like that, it should not surprise you and me when we face that kind of temptation. When we come to this place where we find difficulty, the apostle Peter said it this way. We have an enemy, his name is Satan, an adversary who like a lion who is on the prowl is longing, seeking to devour whomever he may. And the more you pursue integrity, the more it seems that he wants to steal and kill and destroy in your life. The more earnestly you want to live for Jesus, you better know that you're going to face opposition. But we're going to ask and answer this question, is it worth it? That's the title of the message. Is following God worth it? You see, Satan wanted to end this man's ministry. It's been that way before Christ, and it's that way today. Satan wants to do all he can to attack. In fact, there are going to be special times and seasons of attack. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6 that you put on the full armor of God for the day of evil. Not every day is the day of evil. There's going to be specific times where he comes at you, and usually it'll be sneaky. And you need to be prepared for that. I would say this, your future usefulness to Christ will depend in large measure on how you handle these times when they come. Let me say that again. Your future usefulness to Christ will depend in large measure on how you deal with these times. When you find yourself discouraged and you say, I just want to quit. I don't want to serve on any more committees. I don't want to sing in the choir. I don't want to teach Sunday school. I don't want to serve in the nursery. I'm just done. I'm not going to go to church. I just I can stay home. Maybe you even justify I'll stay home and watch on television. I can spend time with God. And you back yourself away from the people of God and the things of God because you just have had enough. When you do that, Satan wins. Asaph was there. Asaph came to the place of discovery. And I'm thankful for this. Because Asaph, in the rest of this psalm, the the second half of the psalm, if you will, tells the story. And so what we're going to do over the next five weeks is walk through his road to recovery. He makes kind of a five-point turn, if you will. In verse 15, we see step number one. You ready? Step number one, stop. Just write down the word stop. Read with me 15. He says, if I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people, to your children. Church family, listen to what Asaph is saying. He's saying... If I had really, in my point of despair, I'm looking at the wicked and seeing their prospering. I'm looking at my life and seeing my struggle. If I had spoken this out loud, I'm a leader. I, I influence other people. If I had shared my heart, I would have been a traitor to your children, God. I would have let a lot of people down. I would have been like the Judas Iscariot of the Old Testament. A traitor to God's people. I need to stop. He's reflecting back. He says, if I had spoken thus, if I had gone public with these thoughts, then then I would have betrayed your children. If I had gone where these thoughts were taking me. And Asaph puts on the brakes. He just says, I've got to stop. Now, imagine with me, if you will, this is purely hypothetical, a husband and a wife driving down a country road. Again, this is a hypothetical story of a hypothetical husband and a wife. And the husband, very confident in the way that he should go, and his wife also equally confident in a different way that they should go as they go down this dark country road are driving together. And the husband says to the wife, it's not much further along. And the wife says to the husband, I think we're supposed to turn right here. And the husband says, no, I think we'll continue on hypothetically, a little bit further. And as they go down that road, a little bit farther, they turn off of the road and then off of that road, and they end up on a long straight road where there's no more turns. And the wife says, I'm quite certain now that it was back there. And the husband says, I know that. I'm just looking for a place to turn around. Hypothetically. The only thing to do at that point, besides swallow your pride, not hypothetically but very real, (laughs) is to stop. It's to pull over. It's to do, if you will, a three-point turn. There's no roads. There's no driveways. There's no lights. There's no houses. There's no other place to go. You're just at a dead end. You need to stop and turn around. And as you stop and you turn around, you need to understand this, that there are some places in life that are not easy to turn around. And in Asa's case, we're going to see a five-point turnaround. But step one is just to stop. He pulls over, and he's going to tell us how to make this kind of a stop. And you need to know this. You cannot do this at 50 miles an hour. You you can't even slow your roll on this one. You've got to stop. And some of you are walking headlong into a dangerous place. I love the picture. He said, my foot was almost slipping. He's right on the edge. He's about to fall off into an absolute destructive mess. And he says, as I look at the wicked that are prospering, as I look at my own pains and struggles and troubles, I almost fell headlong into that and believed what the devil would want me to believe, that God is not good to Israel, that God doesn't care about the pure in the heart. And I quit. That's what he wanted to say. Praise God for one little word that we see early in the text, almost. He said, I almost slipped. I'm so thankful that he comes to the place. And as we move forward in verse 15 and on, he stops. He pushes the brakes. He pumps them and says, no, 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 no. If I had gone down that road, I would have disappointed a whole lot of people. He saw the struggle with what he was saying. And in the weeks to come, we'll see how it moves. But I want you to understand where this leads us. His example is powerful. For you and for me, I would say persevere. Keep walking with the Lord. In the first half of the psalm, Asaph tells about what broke brought him to this place and now he comes to the place where he's poured out his heart about what he was thinking and I want you to see that this stopping point is critical the turning point doesn't start with an answer but with a decision listen to me the turning point doesn't start with an answer it starts with a decision he says I'm not going down that road anymore you and I approach it differently we want answers We come to God and say, God, give me an answer. And God says to you, give me a commitment. You come to God and you say, God, I need to understand. And God says, no, you need to trust me. You you say, God, I need answers. And God says, no, you need to follow me. And it came with a decision. You see, your mind is confused. You don't have the answers. Make a decision. I'm going to trust God. That is the life of faith. The life of faith is I'm going to live by what God's word says, not what my circumstances present. And Asaph was wise enough before his feet slipped, he stopped. We're going to see he's going to turn around and come back to God. Graduates, I'm not fatalistic with this. But I can promise you, every every person in this room can back it up. Every single one of us are one decision away from stupid. One decision can wreck the rest of your life. And I don't even need to fill in the blank and tell you what some of those choices are. You'll find them out. But you better make a decision today that you're going to follow Jesus Christ. That you're going to live your life for Him. Asaph said, I almost slipped. And he knew where that would end. For you and for me, all of us still, I don't care if you're 25 or 95. We're all one step away from stupid. We can do some horribly foolish things. And I just want to tell you, if you follow the dark impulses of your mind, you can ruin your testimony. And you can destroy your marriage, and you can destroy your usefulness in ministry. So I would say stop. Stop that way of thinking. Stop that way of acting. Climbing out of a black hole of discouragement and despair does not begin with an answer but a decision. I will follow God. Let me give you just a few thoughts there. They're all listed out on your answer guide, your listening guide. Choose loyalty to God and His people. Look at verse 15 yet again. If I'd spoken my mind and followed the thoughts and inclinations of my heart, I would have betrayed your people, God. You you can say that. If I followed that, if I'd spoken my mind. It, It teaches us a critical lesson. Help comes when a man or woman gets their eyes off themselves and begins to focus on the loyalties and responsibilities to others. I don't think we have quite as much of a sense of community. That's why I'm thankful that we're studying through the Old Testament. They did things together. Now, it's not just an Old Testament concept. Jesus said, pray this way, our Father. But we live in an individualistic way. I can listen to Christian radio, and I can go by my devotional at my Christian bookstore, and I can do my own thing, and I can just be as positive as I can be in the Lord, and I can just walk on my own. And the the Bible says nothing like that. The Bible says we belong to one another, and we've been bought with the blood of Jesus, and that we need one another. And there's a communal sense that when you decide I'm sleeping in this day, recognize this somebody's going to notice you're gone. And when you decide I'm not going to serve, and when you decide I'm not going to pray or I'm not going to read my Bible, it impacts all of us. Asaph got his eyes off his own pain, and he began to look and said, you know what, if I do this, it's going to impact other people. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense to somebody, because in a very real way for me as I studied this, Psalm, And as I've gone back to it, I realize the weight of responsibility that we have, it goes far beyond ourselves. It's not just, God, what are you doing in my life? Maybe God's leading you through something so that he can speak to somebody else. Maybe he's building in you a testimony that will encourage someone else. Focus on others. Get your eyes off yourself and your own pain. Focus on others who look to you and depend on you. You, you need to realize there are others that see you as an example they see you as a model of faith and faithfulness. Their neighbors and colleagues and partners and classmates. And their whole perception of what Christianity is, is in your court. Your crisis, whatever you're facing, is much bigger than yourself. Does that make sense? Let me say it this way from the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by men and women and the angels of God's armies and by God himself. And God has set a track for you to run on. And he's telling you and me, run the race that's been set out for you and persevere in it. Continue to keep going. Don't let your feet slip. Don't stumble. Don't look at just the circumstances. You may not understand what God's doing in the world or in the in your heart and you may come to the place where it doesn't make sense to keep yourself pure but trust God. Oh I thank God for that word almost. <laughs> you stop and you refuse to go where your dark thoughts would take you. Choose loyalty God and His people. Don't stop gathering with the church. Don't stop consuming God's Word. Don't stop asking for help. Don't stop clinging to God's promises. Don't stop serving others. Keep on looking to Jesus. And the reason graduates in church, I would say that, because the writer of Hebrews goes on and he says this. You see, Jesus did the same thing. Jesus in a garden would wrestle and would struggle. If there's another way, I want that way. God, why do I have to suffer through this? But he left that garden with a decision. Not my will, yours. And because he made that decision, he carried out the mission that God had for him. He ran the race that was set before him. And the Bible says that he endured the cross. And he did so for the joy set before him. And the joy set before him is right here. It's those that would trust him and be redeemed by his gracious salvation. Persevere. Make a decision today. I'm going to stop. Going in the direction that I'm in going. This message is for somebody. Somebody here has been running away from God. Maybe it's a whole bunch of somebodies. And if we're honest like Asaph, we would say, stop. Enough. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at his turn. But today, why don't you just stop where you are and come running to him? Maybe today you need to join this church. Maybe you need to unite your your membership here, we would love for you to do that. We're going to have prayer partners and staff members here at the front. They'll, they'd love to share with you. Maybe the decision of your life today is that you've been running from God and you recognize that there's no hope anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. And today would be the day that you would trust Him. Trust Jesus Christ today. Let's pray as our musicians are coming and we're going to sing together a song of dedication. Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you for this powerful song. God, we look forward to walking all the way through it together in the coming weeks. But today, I pray that you would arrest our steps right where we are, that we would stop and that we would recognize you you and our need for you in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it.